This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 409. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and I'm joined by Matthew Marister, yet super, again. Yeah, super happy to be here. People probably getting tired of seeing you. I, uh, Of course, I get tired <laughs> of seeing myself, man. You know, he, he, here's the deal. Uh, uh, Jacob, you probably haven't seen folks in a little while or heard from in a little while because uh, uh just hasn't always worked out with uh, everybody's schedules. But schedule, you think, well, what's Jacob doing? Like, aren't we in lockdown? Uh, you know, so we actually are operating with kind of a half capacity of sorts uh, at the uh, the warehouse where everything is shipped from. Uh, and in fact, there's some days where we don't even have anybody in there. And so Jacob and I have been going down there and trying to pick up the slack, which we typically go into the warehouse uh, or office location periodically anyway throughout you know the week. But uh, lately, it's been a little bit more critical. So last week, I had to uh, uh, do that and and, uh, was unavailable for the podcast. And I don't remember what Jacob had going on. But uh, anyway, that's why Matthew did episode 408 all by himself. And I thought you did a great job, buddy. Well, I appreciate it. I mean, I don't think you'd say anything else, but I'll take, you know, I'll take any any compliment you give me, man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, to answer the questions on Facebook, Jacob has COVID. No, Jacob doesn't have COVID, or he would not be in the warehouse touching everybody's packages and shipping them out. So, uh, in fact, I'll probably run down there after we're done with the show today uh, to help package things as well because uh, got to stay on top of those shipments getting out the door. I think we've been doing pretty good. We've been a little bit behind on a few things here and there, but uh, Darn this uh, pandemic, you know. Uh, everybody's probably tired of hearing about the pand- pandemic, but it is the dominating news story. Uh, you know, and everything that we're talking about today, well, almost everything has a bit of a COVID-19 flavor because it has to do with a lot of the things that are happening. Uh, laws that are, uh, well, not so much laws, but, you know, government governor's orders and things like that that are being issued and, so we're going to talk about these issues because these are relevant, very important issues. The big legislative news of the day is that the Second Amendment is still a Second Amendment, but we have some government agencies and states and jurisdictions and things really making it difficult to uh, to enjoy the Second Amendment. So today's episode, though, is brought to you by Guardian Nation. We hope that you'll check out GuardianNation.com for more information to learn more about the best community for like-minded gun owners to receive training, education, discounts, all kinds of great benefits as part of being a member of the Guardian Nation. And new members of Guardian Nation get what we call their starter box, which comes with like a hundred and I don't know, $150 worth of gear and product in there. There's there's training DVDs, there's there's some some cool swag. There's all kinds of cool stuff in the starter box valued at over $150 just by joining Guardian Nation. You know what? If you decide to join for a month and then cancel, well, you know, that that's okay. We'd, we'd love for you to stick around, but, you know, check it out. Learn more. Give it a try. GuardianNation.com is where you can learn more. We have a number of members viewing and or listening to the podcast here today, and we, we love and appreciate you. 
don't forget about the Guardian Nation members Facebook group. All right, been kind of quiet in there lately, um, but uh, we have a whole Facebook group de- dedicated to members and great place for people to exchange info and ask questions and share their wealth of knowledge. Today again is the legislative. Uh, well, it's the, today is the legislative news uh, episode. We do this once a month, and uh, today we got a bunch of stories to share national issues as well as some specific state ones and looking forward to getting to it with you matthew there's there's some really important issues to cover yeah for sure so speaking of the first one here we have this uh according to nraila.org this is the you know institute for legislative action at the nra uh, which is, you know, what, regardless of what you think about the NRA, the ILA does does good work and also does a good job of reporting on these things. And what we know is that the uh, the House has introduced a bill known as House Resolution uh, 5, 5717, and I feel like almost every episode for the last <laughs> month, Matthew, somebody comes in and you know to the comments on facebook or youtube and says but what about hr 5717 mm-hmm. <laughs> and i've been telling everybody for weeks like we'll talk about it okay um so here we are you know because th- this was official you know like this started to become an issue or more of an issue since the last time we did an, a legislative news episode so that's why it's been a while and, and it's why i haven't really talked about it much yet uh, House Resolution 5717, introduced by Representative Hank Johnson from Georgia, also known as the Gun Violence Prevention and Co- Community Safety Act. Of course, you know, it's all about the gun violence, the gun violence, and community safety. Anyway, uh, this is nothing new or innovative. It says here, according to the NRA ILA's uh, article for the gun control crowd in Congress, uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren was working on introducing a companion bill in the Senate earlier this year that, that, that went nowhere. And that I'll be honest, like that's kind of the point of what, what I'm going to get at with talking about it here today is that this isn't going to go anywhere. Now this could potentially get through the house. Uh, that's possible. I don't know that it will. Uh, I definitely still think there will be some, even, even Democrat party, House representatives uh, that will not be for this bill, you know, because they're from, you know, the, believe it or not, there are Democrats that are pro Second Amendment. Uh, there are Democrats that are from districts that are very pro Second Amendment uh, as far as districts go. So when you know when we're, when we're talking about legislation in the House, it, it, it becomes a bit more mm, unpredictable as far as what's going to happen. But, uh, I, you know, either way, this would have to go through the Senate as well, which it's already tried to go through the Senate, and, and I don't even think it even got out of committee. You know, it went nowhere. Right. Uh, I don't even know if it got took up by a committee and really truly – well, that's not true. There, 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 well, there was like an assault weapons, like, ban hearing and stuff a, a few months ago. So there were some things that were taken up in, in committee, but uh, – although I think that was a House committee yet again. Either way uh, – the Senate is is basically the big roadblock of something like this going through. Now, what's in House Resolution fifty seven seventeen? Basically, an assault weapon ban, just like in the mid you know that started in the mid nineties and ran up through uh, through the mid two thousands. Uh, universal background check requirement nationwide. Uh, red flag laws nationwide. Uh, federal license scheme uh, 
for all gun purchasers. So everybody would have to have, you know, kind of like a Illinois Foyd card. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and other things are included in the bill. So, I mean, we could go into all kinds of, I'm sure we could go into the actual language of the bill and find all kinds of weird, nasty, scary stuff. But I'm not sure that it's really relevant to do so. I mean, the, the key here is we should not let our goal or our guard down, right? Our goal should always be to continue working towards and advancing two-way rights in this country. And, and and by that, it means we don't let our guard down. We we stay on top of things. There's, there's a greater risk of things happening locally, probably, you know, in all honesty. And in fact, we're going to talk later on in the show today about one state that just passed a bunch of anti-gun uh, legislation that has been signed into law by their state governor. Many of you probably know who that is or what state that is, but we'll get to that. So, you know, that's where we really especially need to be focused on right now. And it's entirely possible that some things try to get slipped under the cracks of the door uh, because everybody's so focused on COVID-19. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, you know, you, you mentioned Hank Johnson. He's one of my favorite uh, dudes. If you guys don't know who Hank Johnson is, go Google Hank Johnson and Guam he thought the island was going to flip over and capsize. <laughs> he's he he's a stellar guy, but um, the the, thi- the, the thing the facetiousness is just bleeding <laughs> from your eyes as you say this. The, the thing is, is you know, like a lot of times people say, "Well, you guys are fear mongering. Like, why are you covering all these news stories and talking about like?" Here's the thing: even it doesn't matter how many times these law or these bills get proposed and, and and shot down and die at different phases, they will always continue to push them. They will they they will just continue. It doesn't it it will not stop. So that's kind of why we always bring it up and say, you know, be alert, be aware, because it's times where national emergencies or things are other things are going on um, that, you know, they take that opportunity to slide this in and say, hey, let's do this along with this under the guise of this. And let's just retool this this thing that's been dying. But let's try to resuscitate it in light of what's going on. And so, you know, I I don't think either one of us ever tries to be fear mongering or, you know, get you guys to 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 be scared about, you know, stuff like that. It's, It's always just to bring you guys you know, kind of information and say, hey, this is what's going on in the neighboring state that you might not be aware of and be aware that your governor may be looking at that and saying, hey, let's try that over here, died over there, but let's try it here. So, yep. And again, I mean, we're seeing some, some localized issues that are not even legislative ones necessarily in that, I mean, they are, but they're not in the sense they're going through the normal channel of House or Senate proposing legislation debating it, you know, committee, you putting it through committee and voting on it and all that. And then having a governor sign off on things. So we're talking about a governor's declaring states of emergency and, and that, you know, grants special powers. And frankly, governors have immense power with, uh, you know, in emergency, emergency situations. They, they really do. And it's constitutionally backed in a lot of cases. Uh, there's broad power in emergency situations, mm-hmm. but here's the thing. Even if a governor or a mayor, but but particularly the governors, because again, they have broad power at the state level uh, with situations like what's going on with COVID-19, even if they have the power to impose some severe restrictions with regards to, you know, like, like Second Amendment type stuff, it doesn't mean that they should, right? 
Now we know that the ones that are anti-gun are going to, are going to push the envelope and are probably legitimately going to overstep constitutional limits, even with their broad power that they have in those broad emergency powers. Uh, but, uh, you know, at the same time, we see governors in other states. I'll be frank. I, I was a little surprised with uh, how our governor here in Colorado, who's not necessarily considered to be a pro-gun dude, but but he hasn't gone too crazy on us uh, with this, and that's that's a good thing. Uh, so, you know, he, he actually did say that you know gun businesses are essential businesses. A business they're allowed to operate, uh, but they've got some pretty strict guidelines that they got to follow to do so. Um, now some other concerns, and these are not necessarily even legislative ones, but, and this mentioned in this NRA ILA article about how, uh, prisons, some prisons are releasing inmates because of, you know, COVID-19, like somehow it's safer for them to be out, out of prison than in prison. Uh, I mean, okay. I get that prisons are, people are in, in tighter quarters than, than, than they are outside of prison typically, right? Prisons, and, and a lot of prisons are frankly overcrowded. But it's one of those things, it's like you don't know what's going to happen. You can't guarantee what's going to happen when they're released. You might have, I mean, it's entirely possible that you say under the guise of COVID-19 prevent, you know, sa- safety and prevention, I must release this person from prison. But then he goes out and gets it out of prison. Like, you know, there's, there's just no guarantee you're protecting guys by doing this. Uh, and, and then we run the risk of, of all kinds of problems. Now, I think a lot of things have been more focused on like white collar type crime, you know, uh, not so much on violent, but I know violent offenders are getting back on the streets as well. Uh, actually references a story here in Utah where a recently released inmate broke into a woman's home, threatened her with a knife and demanded her car, cash, bank cards, and pin numbers. This is not a surprise. Why? Because you're releasing these guys out on the streets under the guise of COVID-19 safety and prevention. And what are they going to do? They're not going to find a job. There's no jobs to get. Not in the broad sense, right? And, and not only that, I mean, employers, like, okay, so go get a job at the supermarket. Supermarkets are, you know, ten, they're, they're one of the more likely places you might find a job right now. There's a lot of, uh, uh, over over turn and stuff at the supermarkets and some of them have hired to deal with special demand with, uh, you know, because they've been getting hit pretty hard with uh, purchasers. Well, still, because other people are out of work, those employers are able to be a lot more picky about who they hire. Right. So, you know, you got, you got resumes in front of you and you're like, well, this guy doesn't have a record. This guy has a record. Just, just got out like a week ago. Who are you going to hire? Right. So the point is you're releasing inmates that don't have anywhere to go don't have anything productive to do. This is a, a recipe for disaster. Now I got completely derailed. It, it you know, again, it's it, that point is brought up in this uh, article about house resolution 5717. I'm not really sure what the relevance to that was and why NRA decided to mention that, but it's been, a, it's been something I've been looking at and, and concerned about my own sheriff here has released inmates mm-hmm. blows me away. I supported him. He's going to get a letter from me, by the way. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, Matthew, stop me talking. <laughs> uh, so tell us about uh, this 
uh, it's not not even a story. It's a it's a press release from uh, Attorney General Becerra's office in California. It's, the title is Attorney General Becerra shares resources to combat intimate partner violence during COVID nineteen. Yeah, basically, uh, Attorney General of California uh, Xavier Becerra uh, released a statement about um, during COVID nineteen. Obviously, people are supposed to stay at home. Well, some people that are in domestic violence relationships or something like that, you know, um, being home with somebody who's physically, sexually, emotionally abusive to you might not be good. Um, and so what they were, uh, what the office, attorney general's office kind of, uh, released was kind of some guideline guidance about, um, what about domestic violence restraining orders that are either in process right now or under, you know, about to expire. Um, and gun violence restraining orders. And that's what kind of why we're, we're covering it. But, um, and saying, you know, well, what if you had a restraining order against somebody that you live with because they were, you know, physically abusive, but it's supposed to expire and this person gets out of jail or they're no longer a restraining order against them, protective order for you. And they come home and now you're forced to be with them, um, where, Normally, you would be able to go and petition for an extension of that restraining order or whatnot. And now the, 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 the you know, uh, family courts are closed. You can't process these things or, or whatnot. So um, it says here that uh, emergency protective order for domestic violence restraining orders um, can be applied any time of day or night. Um, they typically last for seven days. Um, under current guidance, emergency protective orders during the COVID-19 statewide emergency last for 30 days. Uh, the subject of the restraining order can require, uh, can be required to leave the home and stay away from the victim if requested in the order. I don't know. It doesn't say where they're supposed to go. Um, apparently they just quarantine themselves in a, in a park. Oh wait, I, they can't go there. I'm not sure where they, maybe they get a tent and pitch it on the side of the road because it, that's not a crime and you can, I guess you can, in California, you can quarantine yourself in a, in a tent. Um, during that period, emergency order is effective. You may apply for longer term restraining order. Judges may issue temporary restraining orders up to 90 days. Um, so that's, that's pretty crazy. And judges may also off, uh, issue permanent orders that last up to five years. Um, so that's crazy. That's for domestic violence restraining orders. Gun violence restraining orders are the, the, uh, red flag law. Um, in California generally lasts up to 21 days. Now these are ex parte restraining orders, meaning that you don't have a chance to go there and petition or say that's bogus information. Um, so up to 21 days and, you know, your gun rights are taken away during a COVID-19 epidemic where police are withdrawing and saying, we're only responding to certain sort of types of calls. You're kind of on your own for your own self-protection. Um, now this is where it's kind of, uh, kind of crazy. It says, um, uh, statewide emergency, all gun, all gun violence orders issued or set to expire will be extended up to 90 days to allow the matter to be heard by the court. The subject of the restraining order is prohibited from possessing or buying a gun or ammunition and must give up any guns or ammunition they possess. During the period that emergency order is effective, you or a law enforcement officer may request a hearing for a longer term order. A judge may issue a gun violence restraining order that lasts up to a year. You can also begin the process by submitting forms. So basically, this is setting in motion the ability to extend these uh, orders that may not be based off of any, you know, actual evidence to begin with um, and extend them without your input or ability to stop it. 
And I think anytime we're doing these things, like these, the, these cases have to be scrutinized very closely. And it doesn't seem like, it seems like th this is making it easier. And I, I, I'm not pushing for anybody to have to return to a, you know, a domestic situation where they're scared to come home. And I'm not downplaying domestic violence. It's, it's, it's a bad thing. And I'm not saying people that, you know, are, uh, obvious danger to themselves or others should have access to firearms. I'm, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying these check, this opens the gates for some real abuse in, in I think it, it just needs to be tightened down and I don't see, I see it being loosened up a little bit here. And that's my concern. Yeah. Red flag orders or laws. Um, talk about slippery slope, right? You know, yeah. It's like we've always been concerned about this issue, this potential issue of due process violations, of having rights restricted but not having the opportunity to be heard within a reasonable amount of time. Uh, I suppose it could be argued and it could be taken up in the courts that, well, you know, having your case heard within 21 days is reasonable. All right. Now, we could debate that all day long. But now what I can tell you for sure is not reasonable this automatic extension of 90 days. Yeah. That blows me away, dude. Again, talk about slippery slope because, because we set the machine in motion already to allow these gun violence restraining orders to come into play. Now, because there's an emergency, mm -hmm. those, I mean, my feeling on it is they should be allowed to expire at the end of 21 days. If they can't, if the freaking courts can't, get on you know get their their stuff figured out and like you could have special judges that you probably already should anyway that that this is the only type of case they hear mm -hmm. and they're just doing stuff virtually all day long i know there's a lot of court stuff happening right now it's virtually sure you know uh there, there's no this is no excuse to say we got to automatically extend these red flag seizures out 90 days it's crazy that is insane to me, bro. It should just expire. It really should just expire. Now, the thing with domestic violence restraining orders, um, you know, it, 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 is it a tool? It's a tool, sure. You know, I mean, it's a tool there. What it does is it gives a person legal right that, hey, I don't want to see this dude. He's being, you know, he's he's really disrupting my life. He's scaring me. He's, I'm obviously saying he because, well, you know, the statistics don't lie. It's mostly men uh, coming after their ladies that uh, don't want anything to do with them anymore. I mean, for legit reasons, right? Violence, right? Um, so, so don't take my words here as meaning that I've taken this lie. Actually, I mean to have a very serious conversation about this. Uh, it's a tool. It gives you the legal right to, to you know, have cops provided they can catch them, arrest an individual, and hopefully that does keep them from away from you for a time uh, because they violated that uh, that protection order. But it's not the end-all, be-all. It's just like gun-free zones, right? Where you put up a sign, you say, no guns here, you know, like a school or whatever, and yet we still have school shootings happen, right? So, so I, I understand what... Attorney General Becerra is doing here and reminding people, hey, a lot more people stuck at home these days. We're probably going to see domestic violence issues tick up. Uh, just a reminder that there's some some tools at your disposal that can be used. And here's how we're handling uh, some of these cases because of COVID-19 and the court's not really operating very effectively and all this stuff. Okay, I got it. And then at the bottom of this 
press release. There's all these resources about you know these domestic violence hotlines and sexual assault hotlines, suicide prevention hotlines. All of that is great. And in fact, to me, that is the really important stuff. I'll tell you a concern I've had since the get-go with the stay-at-home orders, Matthew, and particularly with schools being shut down. Realizing the statistical, you know, facts about how little this coronavirus seems to impact children, particularly those under the age of 20. I'm not saying they can't impact them. Uh, I I know for a fact that there's cases that are affecting, in some cases, some pretty young kids that are pretty Mm -hmm. sick with it. But it's extremely rare, right? Statistically speaking, it's extremely, we're talking about like 0.01% maybe, or maybe even less than that. I mean, it's, it's a very small percentage. Uh, my concern is you have these stay-at-home orders, and you've got a lot of kids staying at home with abusive parents that would otherwise have that, that break that they normally would have during the school day to get away from that situation. Yeah. And you have situations where maybe the parents are gone a lot of times because of work, and the kids are at school, and so they avoid some of that uh, uh, abuse at home. But now you have parents out of work or parents ordered to stay at home and kids ordered to stay at home. I really – it actually breaks my heart to think about it. I know there's some really bad child abuse situations going on out there. And there's far more children being negatively impacted by the stay-at-home orders uh, by far. There, there, there are kids being killed probably today, unfortunately, in yeah. child abuse situations that otherwise – you know that would not be – affected by the the disease itself. And I understand there's the spread and all that, that that school, I mean, I, I get, I don't get sick normally as a person, but when you have five kids in a household and most of them going to school and bringing whatever crap they, they, you know, see at school home, you know, yeah. I mean, once or twice a year, I, you know, you get a cold or uh, the flu or whatever. Right. Anyway, uh, enough about that. I, I think the serious conversation to be had is, if you're in a situation, regardless of the situation, there are in fact hotlines out there that you can contact and you can get help. There's programs to get women out of situations, to get them away from abusive spouses or partners. Uh, there's funding available to assist with this kind of stuff. You know, there, there, there's all, all kinds of things. Uh, child abuse, any of that kind of stuff. If you suspect anything, it should be reported, right, within reason. I'm not talking about you calling on your neighbor because you saw them, I don't know, spank their kid or whatever. Like spanking is controversial for whatever reason, right? But uh, you know what I mean. We're talking about legit cases. We should not be hesitant to to report on legit cases. But uh, the ones that you know about, the ones that are chronic, if you know of any, don't let that crap go. United States Senate. We've got Senators uh, Markey, Edward Markey, and Richard Blumenthal. Mm -hmm. They wrote a letter to the Honorable Regina Lombardo, Acting Director of Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. Uh, Their letter is basically, it it carries no weight, right? It's it's just purely a couple of senators talking to an executive branch agency saying, we would like for you to do these things. Oh, I should say it's also uh, uh, directed to the uh, director of the FBI as well, Christopher Ray, uh, to both of them. So it's both the FBI and ATF. And they're basically saying, 
we think because of COVID-19, we have all these concerns about guns ending up in the hands of people they shouldn't. And so how are we going to fix it? Matthew, tell us, what does this letter cover? Yeah, so there's a couple of different things. Um, We'll we'll drill into a couple of the important things, but overall, um, they want to send information to FFLs as far as saying, look, we know that FFLs are having a huge increase of uh, gun sales to new uh, gun owners. And um, it goes over and it talks about, you know, hey, FFL, you should be giving guidance to FFLs as far as ensuring that they're not selling to firearms to people that they uh, know are prohibited or reasonably believe are prohibited. They should be doing uh, background checks. They should be providing locks or security devices. Um, they should include safe storage information um, to, to new gun owners, which is all, I mean, like s- some of that, you know, Know, sure providing information that's great you know that that's that's important um but now we're, it goes into um an area that's called um so if you go into a gun store and i don't know if you guys have ever had this happen to you where do you go to purchase a firearm they run an nci uh, a NICS check on you and it comes back delayed right well if if you wait they could say hey we can wait three days. And if it, if we don't get a, a word back from, uh, from the system that says, yes, we can proceed with this, then we can make the decision to, uh, do what's called, uh, I believe it's like a default proceed or something like that, where, um, they will sell you the firearm and they will transfer the firearm to you, even though they haven't received the, the, the approved, uh, proceed, uh, you know, command back. So, this is an issue that they brought up and they said in 2018, more than 270,000 background checks were not completed within three business days, resulting in more than 4,800 gun transfers to individuals whose background checks ultimately revealed a gun ownership prohibition. So, and I did the math prior to, it took me about 45 minutes to figure it out guys. So, but, but that, that equates to like point. One seven percent of um, default proceeds. So uh, these default proceeds, where th- th- they didn't get the check back in time, they sold the gun anyways. Less than one percent, about one point seven point one seven percent of these people were prohibited, um, which is still is still a lot of people, right? Like mm-hmm. forty eight hundred people, still a lot. But uh, given given the the statistical uh, you know effect, it's not a huge number. Um, by the way, for the record, uh, when that sort of thing happens, right, where a default proceed occurs and the gun's released and it goes to a person that's not supposed to have it, but then later that finally comes back through, there's a process mm-hmm. for that individual being contacted and notified and said, you did not pass this background check. You've got to surrender that gun. Okay? So it's not like this is a total, ma- you know, it's not like this massive loophole. <laughs> Where you know that that those guns are just gone, like they may very well be gone, sure, but uh, you know it's it, but it's not like there isn't already a process of sorts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and so so in light of that, these senators got together and say, well, what can we do to kind of ensure that those loopholes because the, the system's already overtasked it's not working as quickly as it should it's overtasked now even more with more gun buyers and more background checks so what can we do um they ask for the fbi to also pull in information from the n uh 
NDEX or N-D-E-X, which is a system which pulls in all kinds of other information that is not in the NCIC database, right? And this would include stuff like um, field interviews, um, booking records, uh, arrest reports that didn't, you know, result in a conviction. Um, it would... I mean, there's all kinds of incident reports, uh, calls for service reports, all kinds of stuff. And so they're saying in light of, you know, the effect that the, the, or the fact that the NCIC system is so overwhelmed in the event where this delayed response is happening and it's taking a day or two, the FBI should also look to these databases and pull in information that might shed some light on whether we should proceed or not proceed. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of went through Riley and I before the show and looked at all the different areas that it pulls from. And um, Riley, you can kind of well, fill us all in. It's concerning for sure. I mean, so you have these two senators telling, trying to tell the ATF and the FBI how to do their jobs, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is not their job. Uh, but they're welcome to write a letter. Anybody could write a letter. I, I could write a letter to the FBI director and say whatever. Like, it would go in the trash, I'm sure. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, so, so what they're basically saying is we think that the FBI – who oversees these background check databases, uh, you know, and, and orchestrates all that. I mean, the whole NICS program is the National uh, uh, Instant Criminal Background Check System, right? You know, so, like, that's that's an FBI system. And agencies all across the, the nation uh, refer to that and use that, that you know, uh, well, you know, use the, use the programs that come from that, uh, you know, and have access to things like the NCIC, National criminal information what is it uh ncic i always forget too many acronyms national crime information Information center Center. yeah so it's i mean which is kind of like a central repository for you know convictions and all kinds of things right so we it's true you and i did look at the index the national data exchange system which is just a whole other database but it pulls in other excuse me other records um, and some of these, and we looked at some of these and, and we definitely have some concerns because what the index database pulls in, uh, can be just simple arrest reports, uh, uh, FIs, right? Field interviews, uh, you know, contacts they've made with people, you know, that kind of stuff. That's what the index database pulls from. So like, for instance, I mean, even, even down to calls for service, Mm-hmm. Right. That's that's just you know like Jesus. I mean, and I know that that exists, right? Because I've called our local PD. I don't know how many times over the last decade over little things. Like we had a car that was like wrecked up onto the sidewalk and into the fence of the of the uh, there's a lot of baseball field just over not too far from my house here, and I just happened to notice that one night. I'm like, well, that's not. You know, out of the or that, that's a that's kind of a you know odd thing to see, and so I you know call it in. Hey, wrecked vehicle, abandoned, sitting on sidewalk, pushed into the fence, right? So like I know for a fact that that information, those calls are captured. Uh, my my name, my number, all that because they ask you for that, right? Like what's the number we can we can reach you at? What's your address? What's your name? All that stuff. That's usually about the extent that they go. That's all recorded. And a lot there's I don't know about all of it, but there's a lot of data that that ends up in this index database, mm-hmm. so that law enforcement agencies can so you know that that's that it's it's it is useful intelligence. Okay, now 
debatable whether you know I'm some people some people probably hearing this going like oh my gosh like I don't, every like if I call nine one one like they're gonna record information on me yeah they're gonna record information on you uh, that might discourage people from calling uh, whatever you know that's unfortunate but anyway so my concern here is that they're saying use this other database as well in making this adjudication of whether we are releasing guns to individuals or not that I don't know that's a bit concerning to me. Because now what are we actually looking at? What are we looking at in that database? What, 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 what the agency is looking at, that's critical information to make that determination, right? And looking at simple, simple, particularly misdemeanor arrests or anything like that, like that is, there, there's no reason to even look at that, even especially if you haven't even been convicted yet. Not that a misdemeanor conviction precludes you from buying a gun. Certain ones do, right? right. Uh, specifically misdemeanor convictions where in your particular state, you would have to serve over two years in jail, in prison. Uh, misdemeanor DV convictions, those, you know, those are very specific types. But we're talking about a database that pulls in all kinds of data, low-lying low level data. Uh, so incident arrest, booking reports, pretrial investigations, supervised release reports that could include, by the way, the NCIC also includes some of that information as well. Calls for service, photos, field contact and identification records, blah, 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 blah. What, what about things like uh, a state issued medical marijuana license or, you know, yeah, um, a misdemeanor that, weed I don't, arrest. I don't. Or I don't know if that kind of stuff goes into the index, it, but but it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, I mean, if if you if you were FI'd, if you had a field interview, you know, police officer right. stops you and they're like, "Hey, I'm not going to arrest you for you mm-hmm. know you're less than an ounce of marijuana you're smoking in the park, but I'm just going to advise you, hey, you can't do it out here, blah blah blah. You don't have your that license. Is a great field interview point. That is a great point, and that is exactly where this could be concerning for mm-hmm. sure. You know, Matt says, just call from a you know, just call non-emergency from a payphone. Refuse to identify yourself. Well, yeah, I mean, you don't have to provide information when you call, right? You you, you don't. Um, so, particularly if you call non-emergency, uh, you know. So, if you want to call and give information and then hang, you know, refuse to provide information, that's fine, you know. But uh, although he says do it from a payphone, I don't remember the last time I saw a payphone. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, uh, you know, we bring we, we talk about this because hey, you know, it's relevant. This is this is where the minds of the anti-gunners go. Okay, this provides intelligence for all the rest of us in our fight for two A rights down the road. Like this is where the the minds are going. Okay, these anti-gunners. All right, they're look they're always looking out for opportunities where they can continue to deny people access to the Second Amendment. So, anyway, uh, next story. Trump administration prepares to abolish one of America's biggest gun-free zones. So, on a happier note, the Trump administration has published a proposed rule to end a ban on the possession of firearms in water resource development projects administered by the Army Corps of Engineers. These areas comprise one of the largest networks of outdoor recreation sites in America, encompassing more than 400 lake and river projects in 43 states. Activities that occur on these sites include hiking, boating, fishing, camping, hunting, and geocaching. Currently, up to the, and it's been the rule for a long time, uh, possession and use of firearms in some of these areas has been restricted to 
hunting or a few designated shooting ranges, but to just cross the board, get rid of any of restrictions whatsoever, just say, Hey, you know, it's, it's, it's public land, mm-hmm. right? It's no different than BLM land, us forest service land, whatever. But these are specific land areas that are under the jurisdiction of the army Corps of engineers. Yeah. Right. I, I think it's wise. I mean, you, you these, these people that get jammed up in these areas probably aren't doing anything overtly illegal, right? Other than a statutory, hey, you can't carry that here. They're probably carrying it in an otherwise legal fashion. They're well, able to carry it. You know, and the government you, shouldn't make any assumption that, I mean, like, what, what does that even matter, right? You know, right. I mean, like, it, it's like, it's just, it, it's a form of a massive outdoor gun-free zone and stupid. And this is an example of government overreach, you know, that just an inconsistency, right? Because there's there's no rules really about possession of firearms and carrying concealed and all that stuff on U.S. Forest Service land, BLM land. I mean, heck, we can even carry in national parks, national monuments now, provided your state that that uh, that park is con- uh, that you know is within allows it. But uh, you know, so just it's just another example of one of these weird rules that somehow it came out of who knows what, some regulation, some bill somewhere, whatever, that somebody put it in there somewhere that, well, we can't have people carrying guns on these Army Corps of Engineer projects. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. But anyway. But thanks, Donald Trump. Yeah. Hey, you know, I mean, credit, you know, we should give credit where credit's due. And while Trump has done some things that have ticked me off, you know, I mean, the whole bump stock thing and all that, led by his administration, bunch of crap. But hey, you know, if he's doing the right thing over here, that's good. Okay. We should recognize that. Mm-hmm. That's why we talked about it on the podcast today. Gunsamerica.com has an article I came across. Uh, it's actually, you know, it's a few weeks old now at this point, but uh, it's still relevant. All right. Still, this is still an ongoing issue. The title of the article is New York suspends pistol permitting, shuts down Remington in response to COVID-19. New York, like a many, like a number of other states that have uh, issued stay-at-home orders and have classified businesses as, you know, certain businesses as essential and non-essential. Well, in New York, Remington has been classified. I mean, Remington's like, this is a massive gun manufacturer. I think one of the largest, if not the largest. I mean, it's a mass, you know, this is a huge plant based in Ilian, New York. I probably didn't pronounce that right, but uh, uh, I feel like anytime we, anytime we're talking about the Northeast, the Southeast, or Texas, the people will be like, <laughs> that's not how you say it, bro. Anyway. Um, so, you know, Remington Arms was deemed a non-essential business. The irony of this is that Remington, very publicly even, sent a letter to the state government saying, we will switch over our tooling, our production facility, our capabilities, or you know everything we're doing, we'll switch that over to making ventilators. If you think that would help, which by that alone and by its nature would mean that Remington would then become an essential business, regardless of what the government st- states. But they basically said, "We will do this if you will, you know, if 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 you need these ventilators." And New York State government's been silent, no no response. No acceptance. Uh, and it's not a surprise, frankly. I mean, I, I'm sure Governor Cuomo would not want 
his supporters to get, you know, to see the news story. Cause you know, it would come out that, you know, governor Cuomo working with Remington arms company to make ventilators. I mean, the sad thing is it gets all political, right? When it should all be like, Hey, we're all in, we're all chipping in. We're all trying to help. And there's a lot of other gun manufacturers and other gun companies or gun industry, you know, related companies that are doing all kinds of things. We talked about, uh, Allen company doing that just, uh, last week, I think on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the industry news segment. Uh, and this is kind of an industry news story as well, but sort of legislative as well. So it kind of, you know, it's it, it ended up in today's episode instead. So uh, you know, just, just amazing irony here, right? Like we're willing to help. We're willing to do this. But at the same time, Remington is just is shut down as being a non-essential business. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. When I read this, you know, I, I thought – when we covered it last, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, maybe a week ago, um, I, I said, you know, I'm not going to assume that Cuomo isn't, you know, doesn't want Remington's help with this um, and that he would accept help during this pandemic for, from any company that was, you know, in, in good faith wanting to help. Um, but now, you know, it, it kind of appears as though that my my gut feeling that he, he you know, he would reject or just you know, not by not answering, kind of give his answer and then go as far as to force them to shut down when they are a huge part of that economy and employ a huge number of, Mm -hmm. of people in that area. Um, just, I I mean, it it shows the ugliness of political partisanship above all else. And it's just disgusting to say, I don't care about the workers there. I don't care about their families. I don't care about the, the, the good that they could have done by making these, these things. I don't like guns. I don't want it next to my name. So I'm going to shut them down. It's just, it's, it's sad. It really is a sad story. You know, so on the one hand, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, you know, how is it that they're not an essential business? They're making, you know, guns and guns are, Two A protected and people have a right to buy guns and should be able to buy guns and all that. Realize again, I I started her off earlier in the podcast by talking about how governors have very broad emergency powers. All right, now we, we there's all kinds of debate we could do on this, but uh, uh, it's not ultimate. It's not even for for us to decide. I mean, just because I'm just telling you what the reality is, it doesn't necessarily mean this is my position or this is what I believe or that I support this. I'm just acknowledging the fact that governors have great powers. And, you know, I mean, when we realize that governors have the power, okay, I mean, again, keep in mind that I this is... This is just what's happening, and I think that that there is some precedent to this as well. Uh, When they have the power to shut down churches, church gatherings, and things like that, like they have in some states. I mean, they have here in Colorado, right? We're talking about like a suspension of First Amendment rights. Why why should we think that that wouldn't extend also to even Second Amendment rights? Right? Again, I'm not saying I agree with this. I'm just saying that... You, you see the logic here? If we're able to suspend certain First Amendment rights, why would we think the Second Amendment would also, or would would not also, you know, be extended protections? Um, 
Yeah. yeah. You know, it's a whole sticky mess, this whole thing. This yeah, COVID-19. And, and, and you mentioned the, the power that they have. I mean, I, mean, I don't know if uh, you happen to see it or that maybe the listeners saw. Uh, there was an interview with uh, the New Jersey governor, uh, Phil Murphy. Mm. And he was asked about, you know, uh, because he closed down, you know, uh, churches and things like that and said, hey, are you concerned that you're violating people's First Amendment uh, constitutionally protected right to to assembly and to, to practice the religion and stuff? And he said, hey, that's above my pay grade. I wasn't even thinking about the Bill of Rights and that. And I'm thinking, wow, that that sums up. The, the feeling of all the people that are saying, wait a second, I'm all for like doing mm. my part to, to, you know, slow the curve or flatten the curve and all this stuff. But if you're not even considering the Bill of Rights and, and our constitutionally protected rights, uh, when you do these things, um, I, that's concerning. It, it, it should be concerning. And so that's not the answer you want from your governor. Yep. You know, I saw a meme. This reminds me, uh, this whole discussion reminds me of this meme I saw just this morning. Uh, you know, it's kind of like a caricature type, you know, meme. And on the one hand, uh, had the quote, you know, give me liberty or give me death. And on the other hand, you know, it's like, I think it said like 1776 and then, you know, 2020. Uh, give me liberty or give me death. And then says, uh, take my liberty. Or else we're all gonna die. <laughs> you know, what I mean, uh, it, it is quite an interesting dichotomy of sorts, uh, and, and that's the thing. You know, all of this should be done with with balance in mind. Uh, I, declaring an emergency and taking certain actions to try to prevent that emergency from getting to become more of an emergency, or you know, and really get out of hand. Like there, there's 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 a point where we have to balance it's it's not black and white like we want it to be we want it to be black and white but these are very complex issues i know some of you're saying you're probably some of you are screaming at your radios right now and what are you talking about you know it's not complex no it is complex okay um i'm not again i'm not saying i agree that first and second amendment rights and all these things should be you know violated and suspended and stuff but uh uh just that it, there are a lot of complex issues at play. Like nobody wants a bunch of people to get really, truly sick and die. Right. At the same time, we don't want our economy shut down for all this period of time and, and the negative uh, effects that come from that as well. You know I mean? It's just, you know, there's, there's a lot of things kind of competing for attention here and, and we got to try to do our best to protect rights and balance all of that as well. Uh, yeah, so it's, 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 it's a, I don't envy, by the way, I don't envy anybody in government leadership right now. Not, not at all. Like I wouldn't want anything to do with any of this stuff. I would not, cause almost no matter what you do, you're, you're going to be unpopular, right? Mm -hmm. Like, cause either you're going to be unpopular because you go too far. You're going to be unpopular because you don't go far enough. Uh, we see that already with the way, you know, president Trump is treated, right? You know, didn't, you know, in the, in the beginning there was things he was being, accused of doing that was going too far, like shutting down the border and stuff. And then at the same time, well, you didn't go far enough. Right. So it's just a, it's a whole big, 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 big mess. Um, anyway, let's look at a couple specific state issues. Uh, first off, New Mexico in New Mexico, the NRA is suing and other pro two a groups are suing the New Mexico governor, 
uh, Michelle Luhan, Luhan, Lu, I don't even know how you say her last name, Lujan, <laughs> uh, Grisham, who, by the way, is someone that's been talked about as being a potential uh, running mate for Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. All right. She's very anti-gun. She supported assault weapon bans and things like that uh, and has not been shy about some of those issues. Uh, well, she f- prohibited gun stores and shooting ranges from operating under her order, and that has been taken to court. All right. So now when that will happen, well, that's a big question, right? Because courts aren't moving very fast right now. And that's one of the challenges with this kind of thing. By the time this might even get before a, a judge – we could be, you know, the whole situation could be done and over with. You know, and at that point, it's like, well, you know, is it really worth continuing, to, you know, in this fight? Uh, and it may just get thrown out anyway because the government, uh, the judge may go, well, okay, I see your point, but you know what? Everything is back to normal again. So, you know, this is pointless. Let's let's toss it out. So, um, anyway, uh, just an interesting story there, you know, and this is just another one of the examples of state governors that have – probably gone in my opinion they have gone too far with restricting restricting uh guns and second amendment type stuff yeah from occurring uh matthew tell us about uh this really it's a, like a press release from the attorney general's office of the state of west virginia this is more yeah. positive news so very we kind of have positive. you know good bad good bad <laughs> very <laughs> positive uh so from west virginia attorney general morrissey uh, he introduced continue, continuity on continuity of Second Amendment rights during pandemic. And we kind of mentioned this earlier uh, in the chat section um, when we we're talking about, hey, if they're going to extend these red flag orders, are they also going to extend uh, people's, you know, concealed carry licenses that might have expired during this time in that way? Well, anyways, um, in West Virginia, you don't need a concealed carry license to carry in the state. Um, but they do obviously issue it because other states have reciprocity, they have reciprocity with other states, right? So um, what the attorney general said is, hey, we'll process, we're going to process mail-in uh, uh, applications for concealed carry licenses. There's nothing in the statute that says that you have to apply in person. So we'll still continue to uh, to process those. And he sent directives to all the sheriffs to, to say, yeah, this is how we're going to implement it. And this is what we're going to do. And um, and it's, it's, it's good because he didn't have to, right? Like they didn't have to do that. Um, there's no requirement that they have a concealed carry license uh, for their own, you know, population, but uh, they're thinking long-term and saying, Hey, eventually, you know, these people might want to leave their house and go to another state. And, um, and I think that's a, that's a really good thing. So not every, not, we don't mean to paint, you know, gloom and doom for everything because, uh, there are some, some beacons of, of positiveness, uh, in some of these governors and attorney generals working together and stuff. Yep. Awesome way to go, West Virginia. Yeah, you know when I first saw the press release, I just I just saw Charleston. You know, it says it's you know which is the capital of the state of West Virginia, and I immediately started thinking Charleston, uh, South Carolina, right? And I was like, wait a minute, is that am I reading this right? Oh wait, West Virginia. That makes more sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, now turning our attention to Virginia, the Virginia governor signed background checks. Red flag, a red flag law, and other gun control bills into law. Why don't you uh, take lead on this one as well, Matthew? 
Yeah, good old Ralph Northam. Uh, dude uh, wore a clan robe or, you know, pushing infanticide. Those types of things aren't very controversial, apparently. But um, this might be controversial to some people. Um, he signed five gun measures into law, including background checks and extreme risk protective orders. So basically, those uh, those bills that he was trying to get uh, earlier when they did not have uh, democratic control of the legislator legislation. Um, they finally got democratic control of everything. Um, and now these, these gun laws are rolling out and um, it's, it's pretty sad. So just real quick, uh, they, they uh, signed the extreme risk protective order, the red flag order, like in, it says uh, 19 other States. So in Washington, DC. So, uh, they got that in into effect down there in Virginia. Uh, also signed a bill requiring background checks, so the universal background check that you hear about. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also signed a bill that requires a person to report the loss of a firearm within 48 hours or face civil penalty of up to $250. Um, not sure how that makes people safe, but it certainly makes the government money. Um, and one that raises the punishment for leaving a loaded, unsecured firearm that endangers, endangers anyone under the age of 14. If you're over the age of 14 and it endangers somebody sorry it's not uh you're out of luck but uh his statement is we lose too many virginians to gun violence past time and it is past time we took bold meaningful action to make our community safer now i don't under he didn't say how finding people 250 dollars if they don't report their gun being stolen is is going to make people safer or uh, universal background checks or extremist protective orders or you know increasing a law or a punishment uh for leaving a firearm you know that out that endangers somebody under the age of 14. i'm not sure anybody who leaves a gun out that endangered somebody that was under the age of 14 would be dissuaded from leaving that loaded gun out if they knew the punishment would be much greater I, I just don't think these the, these are incidents that are accidental or negligence. And I don't think either one of those are curtailed by a stiffer punishment. I just don't see it. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't think the I, I really don't think any of these laws are particularly aimed at taking bold, meaningful action to make communities safer. I just think it's more gun control, um, you know, a, a little notch in the belt. Like, look what I did. Well, of course they're not. I mean, <laughs> but we already know this, and we've talked about these things. We've, we've talked about, uh, you know, all the stuff going on in Virginia. Of course, there was the whole huge uh, rally in January yep. in, in Virginia uh, against uh, all these gun control bills. And, of course, the assault weapons ban one was defeated, at least for now. Uh, it was basically said that this issue is tabled. We'll pick it up next next year or next session. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, the fact is, is if we talked about, you know, we had this conversation way back in November uh, in the podcast, recognizing that Virginia took a huge loss in the last election. Huge. And the implications of that were going to be profound and long, you know, fairly and, and long lasting, right? Meaning that there are some things, and we're seeing the, the fruits of all that come to light now, uh, that, you know, this is the consequences of not doing a good job, I guess, of getting the right people elected into state offices. You end up with this. You end up with laws like this getting passed, and it'll be 
harder to get these sorts of things overturned because I mean, there's multiple battles that have to be won, right? We have to win the next election, which that usually doesn't happen. It doesn't usually flip-flop that fast, right? Uh, but you got to do that. Then you got to... Then you gotta, and you got to win it by enough of a margin that you have a chance of getting things pushed through. You got to hopefully win the governor's seat back, all that stuff, right? You know, with pro gun legislators and governors. And then you got to finally get the laws actually, you know, the bills written and, and passed and all through all that process. So, I mean, it's just this is the result of a utterly, completely failed system. Uh, of of campaigning and elections and government in the state of Virginia, and it's sad to see. And my heart goes out to those of you in Virginia that are living with this, dealing with this. Now, it's not like things are all that different, frankly, from uh, you guys to hit, to me here in Colorado. You know, we, we've we've lost some battles as well, uh, and some of that may not be done over with. Yeah, I'm very, very, very concerned about upcoming bills. Uh, Things have been kind of put on the back burner because of COVID-19. But when this all gets resolved, I think they're just going to pick up those torches. And especially when, you know, you have, I know there's people here in Colorado that are looking at Virginia and going, okay, look, they're able to get that accomplished. Now it's our turn. Now it's time for us to push this through as well. Very, very, very concerning. And that's why we can't let our guard down. I said that earlier in the show. I I know I said that HR fifty seven seventeen guys. You know I'm. You can keep spewing that all across Facebook and talking about it. I don't think it's going anywhere. Look more locally. Look more inward at yourselves and at your local jurisdictions, your cities, your counties, and your states, and look for these types of issues. And get involved. And here's the thing. So often we think getting involved in the political process means, well, when the time comes, I'm going to sling my rifle over my back. I'm going to carry openly and I'm going to march on down to the Capitol and have a big rally. That's not politically getting, I mean, that's, yeah, okay. It's getting involved somewhat, right? It's making a statement. It's, it's assembling publicly and all of that is fine and and well and, and dandy, but What's more important is you actually getting involved in the political, like the actual political process, party processes, right? Committee work. Uh, uh, as far we're talking party committee work, right? There's all kinds of committees and all kinds of organizations and all kinds of local groups uh, getting involved with whether it's the primary process or a caucus process. That's huge. I'm always appalled every time I show up at my caucus meetings. To see how few, like, I know how many people live in my caucus. And there's like 16 people there. And it's always the same old dudes and ladies. It's always the same old people. I'm like the one young guy. And I'm I'm almost 40. I'm like the one young guy in there. That's sad, right? Uh, Out of like, you know, a dozen people. And I've been elected as, you know, going to the various, you know, state or congressional uh, or county caucus, uh, you know, uh, those, those caucus meetings, right? That's, that's, that is, I mean, that's where, that's the most basic form of, of how some of these decisions may, get made and which candidates get selected and who ends up, you know, running against the other guy, right? It's, it, it's all part of a process, 
And it's talking to your neighbors and being good stewards and good uh, uh, ambassadors for good, solid foundational principles that this country was founded upon and not being so like R against D and D against R. It's just getting involved and being good ambassadors and, and working towards good. Anyway, sorry, I'll get off my soapbox. I agree. But when we don't do that and we have failed political processes, we end up like Virginia. Yep. And some of you are saying, but I'm in this state and that's not going to happen here. Don't even begin thinking that way. Because 20 years ago, 30 years ago, I'm sure that's what they thought about here in Colorado. It changes fast. All right. It's time to wrap it up. Sorry. Went went too long. But uh, <laughs> uh, guys, this is uh, the Concealed Carry Podcast, you know, and, and we've been doing this a long time now and we, we couldn't do it without your support. And your support of, of sponsors and of, of, the, of the products and things we mentioned on the podcast. And so I do appreciate your support. I mean, we don't do Patreon. We don't do these other, you know, we don't do special episodes that only subscribers get access to and, you know, paying subscribers, for instance. We don't, we don't do that stuff. We just ask that you support our business in some small way, somewhere, sometime, or maybe ongoing. Maybe you become a Guardian Nation member. Maybe you just, you know, buy, check out our website, our, our store at concealedcarry.com and, you know, place an order here and there. Uh, these are difficult times and I, I recognize that, you know, and, uh, but the need for training and information and quality gear doesn't, doesn't go away. And so, you know, appreciate your support. That's all I got to say. And we'll do our best to serve you and have good customer service, a good positive customer experience for all of you. And then by staying in business, we're able to continue doing things like the Concealed Carry Podcast. And all the other, I, I forgot to mention, Matthew, uh, it, was, it was my bad. I meant, I forgot to mention at the beginning of the show, uh, our whole podcast network. We got the Concealed Carry Podcast. We got the uh, Law Dog Shooting Sports Podcast. We got the Firearm Trainers Podcast, Not Your Average Gun Girls Podcast. All right? Your support of all those shows support us and support our team here and our guys. We've been fortunate we haven't had to lay anybody off yet. And that's because we've got wonderful, loyal fans and people and customers that have continued to support us. And I hope that'll continue. And so that's all I got to say about that. Matthew yeah. wouldn't have a job if, uh, you know, we couldn't keep the lights on here. It's true. It's true. And, and so, you know, obviously you're talking about the the fans and how much, you know, the listeners and, and those people that support us and we are very grateful. And uh, one of the ways we, we like to say thank you is to do our weekly giveaway. Right. So, oh, yes, think, thank you. I think we can we're already over time, so we better do this quick. Yeah, we can definitely do it. <laughs> so I have it pulled up, actually. Okay. All right. So, so here's the drum roll. Ready? All right. You guys ready? We're, what are we winning? We are going for the Door Ambush div- dig- uh, course digital download. Door Ambush DVD. All right. Yep. Yep. Or, or not the DVD. You said the it's digital the digital. Download. Got it. Because we'll we're too cheap to send you the actual DVD, apparently. Unless you, ha- unless you have a <laughs> DVD player and you prefer, we can facilitate that, I'm sure. I'm just teasing. All right, so here's a drum roll for a winner of Door Ambush. The winner is Ian, and your last name starts with an M. Ian M. We will send you an email, Ian. Congratulations. Congrats, Ian. Thanks for participating in this week's giveaway. Guys, don't forget to sign up each week at concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. And you may have a chance to win next week's prize, which is what? 
Next week's prize will be one month of LASR software. One month free of the LASR software. Awesome. And how do you get signed up again? Concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. And don't forget, you earn extra entries by following all the steps in that sign up. All right. For the pod, for the podcast giveaway. Guys, we appreciate you. Stay safe wherever you are and don't let up with your training. Get out there if you can to the range and, and, and shoot and practice or do it right at home doing dry fire. So a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.